On this episode of AvTalk, we discuss Airbus's plans for the future of the A380, see which European low-cost carrier is no longer operating this week, tow a 747 across a field, and add some flair to the podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. Hello, Jason. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I have had... I have had a terrible, terrible week. Mm, terrible, terrible perils week. of home ownership. Never... If, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I've told you this already, but if you don't, and you do listen to the podcast, never buy a home. Mm, never rent an apartment in New York City either unless you want to battle gigantic bugs, which I've also been up to. So we, we've had a great week. I'm very, very seriously considering just buying a tent and moving into the woods. But then there might be bugs. I'll move to – yeah, I, I haven't figured that part out yet. Mm, you could take my bugs. That'd be good. I don't want your bugs, but I also don't want my – sewage back up. So huh. I guess we just keep doing what we're doing. Uh, I don't know what anyone is supposed to do with this information, having listened, but carry on. Here's what we can do. Though. No, you know what we can do? We can move into the A320 that that guy built in China. Oh, yeah. That's a way to go about life. I'm thoroughly... I mean, let's talk about the fact that he built it out of steel, and and that's just thoroughly impressive. Expensive. But he, he built he I, I mean like th that's the thing. It's like he built an entire A320. It's not like a replica. Oh, I mean it is a replica, I guess, but it, it's not like a scale replica. It's a full sized A320 made of steel. I wish I had the space to do such a thing. I don't. It, I yeah, I don't either. But I also don't have the skills anywhere near I will admire his skills and move on from there. Yeah, an interesting hobby. So speaking of interesting hobbies, you kind of tried to to perform one of your interesting hobbies, which is flying airplanes. The government shut down part one, I guess. We'll see Friday whether or not it was part one or just the government shutdown. Put a damper on those plans and, and the Delta A220 intro got moved back. But then it got moved to the 7th of February, yep. I believe, and you enjoyed a round trip to Dallas. Yeah, beautiful Dallas with a 52-minute layover in Dallas before coming back to New York. And that was for uh, Delta's first C-Series, nope, I mean Airbus A220 flights. That was actually the second flight Delta had operated that day. The first flight was actually 6 a.m., LaGuardia to Boston, which I had no interest in being on because that's just too damn early in the morning. But I was on the first flight to Dallas, which was the second of the day, and it was a great flight. A couple buddies were on board. Chris Sloan from Airways was on board as well, right behind me. And it was, uh, it was a fun day. So is has Delta done a – I mean, you, you've taken two flights now, so a sample size still relatively small, but have they done a good job with the aircraft? Yeah, it's basically typical Delta narrowbody. If you've ever been on a Delta A319, A320, 737 of any type, you pretty much know what their A220 looks like on the inside because Delta is a stickler for consistency product-wise. So it has the same seats, the same looking entertainment system, the same Wi-Fi, 
the same. Everything, the only thing that really varies is uh, it's got that nice MD-80 style 2-3 seating that people love and the now famous window in the laboratory. I I don't understand the hubbub over this. Can you explain that to me? Because maybe it's I just don't spend a lot of time in the laboratory when I'm flying that I guess I don't have enough appreciation for a window, but I don't see why that's a big deal. Well, it's a window okay, in a place where it normally isn't. Okay. Uh, that's all I got. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not unique. There are aircrafts before it that have windows in the laboratory. I've been on even a, a run-of-the-mill 747 I've seen with... I know Finnair's A330 has one. Yep, even I, I I forget who it was. I think it was the I don't remember which seven four four hundred I was on. No, it was KLM. The combi had a window in the laboratory and it actually had a a very old school seven eight style seven eight seven style window dimmer, which was pretty cool. You pushed a button and the window dimmed itself, kind of electronically, not uh, magically like the seven eight seven does. But it's definitely not unique. But the windows on the uh, Sorry, I almost said C-Series again. A220 are pretty large, so it's quite noticeable. So if you're using the laboratory on the ground, there's a good chance that somebody could see you. Potentially, yeah. No, I doubt it. it. It seemed like there was a lot of a lot written about that particular window, and I was very confused as to why it was such a big deal. I don't recall if there is actually a window shade there. I should probably go back and check, but no, nope, there definitely was. All right. Yep, there was. <laughs> so Delta's got, I think, four A220s in the fleet now, and, and they'll be taking taking additional ones, and, and you can catch it. There's the, the Boston-New York route. There's the New York-Dallas route, and which one am I missing? Right now, it's only LaGuardia to Boston and LaGuardia to Dallas. Okay. Yeah, but I believe there are only three in service. The fourth is still being used for pilot training, but they should be taking delivery of a few more rather quickly. But they uh, had some issues with one of the aircraft on on day two. It got stuck in Boston and a bunch of flights got delayed and subbed out. So little early teething problems. No, I mean, to be be expected, really. Yeah. Anytime an airline introduces a new new type, I think we've seen that. It's expected. It happens. It does. At least it wasn't my flight. <laughs> and that's the important thing. So we are recording on the 13th of February, 2019. And tomorrow is a big day or not. We don't know. But all of the, the rumor mill and reporting has led us to believe that tomorrow, the 14th of February, will not be kind to the Airbus A380. That's right. I figure sometime uh, between when we're done recording and when I wake up tomorrow, the news will have already been written and I'll wake up and know whether the A380 lives to fight another day or if Airbus finally pulls the plug on the assembly line and ramps down production once the current backlog is fulfilled. So it's not going to be an overnight kind of thing. They're not going to decide on February 14th, okay, we're done here and then burn the factory down. Production will go on for quite a while until they clear out their backlog, which is mostly Emirates, I think. So until then... No surprise there. Yeah, no surprise. So until then, the the production line will 
be maintained and it will be ramped down, but I would say it is almost certain that tomorrow does not bring good news for the A380. Yeah, I, I mean, it. I did a quick Google search and over the past five years, there have been hundreds of articles that have said, you know, oh, it's it's done now. It's it's done now. But this time seems a little bit different given the fact that, you know, Emirates hasn't it hasn't ordered another round. There doesn't seem to be any customer large enough on the horizon to to kind of keep the program afloat. And and Airbus has got, you know, a few other aircraft that kind of have taken away from the the A380's appeal. To, right. to customers. And, and forget about Emirates ordering more A380s. They might not take delivery of the A380s they already have on order today. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's always very interesting to me how how aircraft ordering works because you can say I want stuff and then say no, I don't want stuff. Right. So they can convert that either to A350s or A330 Neos. So the backlog could come down quite a bit, but we will see when we wake up in the morning what the fate is for the A380. But remember, they're going to be flying for years and years and years to come. Some airlines may whittle down their fleet, some may withdraw it over time, but it's nothing that's happening imminently. Lufthansa will keep operating theirs. China Southern will keep operating theirs. They're not going anywhere for a while. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll see we'll see the the A380s for for quite some time. But it was very interesting to me and you know John Ostrom made a good point on Twitter today is you know 747 outlast A380 was not a headline that he expected to see. And I mean there there's a good chance that you know 747s will outlast the A380 fleet. I mean oh, given totally. the the cargo prowess of the 747. Exactly. The 747 has the benefit of being a freighter, not only converted freighters, but dedicated, built-off-the-line freighters that the A380 was planned to be, but never ended up coming to fruition. Yeah, that just didn't work out. I mean, you know, when you, when you think about it, the, the last 747-100 was retired two years ago. Right. So, the <laughs> A380s in the air have quite a lot life left in them. Yeah. I mean, especially if they, you know, that eventually a secondary market opens up. Where you start seeing, you know, kind of the promise that the A three eighty was supposed to fulfill of, you know, big fat routes with lots of people, you know, going from place to place. That didn't really kind of come to fruition fast enough, I guess. Yeah. Well, unfortunately there doesn't seem to be a real market for secondhand A three eighties. We've got the one, maybe two X Singapore going to Hi Fly and the rest are kind of languishing potentially being scrapped. Yeah, so that that'll be interesting to see if if a secondary market does in fact open up when there's enough, I mean maybe enough supply to to bring the cost down or price down. But it'll it'll be interesting to see. Either way, this discussion is taking place you'll listen to it when it's already happened. You'll know the final decision before before you listen to us, but just some kind of, you know, things to to keep in mind. We returned to a theme over the past couple episodes with airplanes driving into each other. It's there not a good were, theme. I don't like it's, this theme. It's, it's, it's a terrible theme, especially one that's imminently preventable. So one of them was kind of an accident, and not kind of an accident, it was an accident, 
Airways uh, E190 was doing a, a ground run, and that jumped the chocks and crashed into a second Kenya E190. Of all things uh, to hit. Well, it, yeah, I mean, there, there were some reports that the, the aircraft steered into the other aircraft uh, to avoid hitting a hangar. Oh, so um, hit the hangar. Well, I mean, you know, you never know what's inside the hangar and who's inside the hangar. And Hopefully not another E190. Well, I, I, I don't know, but that's what happened. And it's pretty uh, substantial damage to both aircraft. So to, they'll, yeah, they'll, it, they'll be grounded for a long time. Yeah, it, and, uh, it, was, it did not look pretty. And just in case anyone doesn't know, uh, a run-up is basically where they need to test the engines on the aircraft. So they park it somewhere put blocks in front of the wheels, put the brakes on, and then they actually just gun up the engines. So they run them up at, at relatively high power. And the aircraft's not supposed to go anywhere, but in this case, uh, it did. There's been accidents like that in the past, Most probably most famously the Etihad A340-500 at Toulouse, that kind of uh, broke in half. Yeah, it jumped. Uh, it, the brakes failed or, or it jumped the chocks and then went up over one of the engine run enclosures uh, and use that as kind of a ramp and then the the fuselage broke broke in half yeah needless to say that aircraft uh never flew it did not make it into service no no it didn't and uh, an a340 put out of service before its prime yep and after its prime Ugh. and during thing. its prime so that was the the first one and then there were two today uh not a good day for um KOM and a KLM seven four seven hit a KLM seven eight seven, and that was in Amsterdam. And then in Paris, an Air France triple seven hit an Air Mauritius A three fifty. Ah, the Air Mauritius three fifty is probably brand new too. It was delivered in I think November of twenty seventeen. Ugh, and that's a small fleet, so grounding one of those is painful. Yeah, and and so the the damage to that wing actually looked substantial enough to where it. It wasn't just to replace the the winglet. Call it a day. That or sucks. That's going to create or whatever uh, they call it. some issues in their schedule for a while. Well, or or it all of these conspiracy theory time. All of uh -oh. these ground run-ins are are a high fly conspiracy. They're they're caused by high fly to drum up. Oh, I see. That's not the case. But it could be an opportunity for uh, for some interesting. Interesting wet leases on Air Mauritius's part. I'm sure that KLM and, and Air France will just uh, swap some aircraft in. Bring in some June 340s. There you go. Ouch. So stop running aircraft into each other? Yeah. I, it's such a preventable thing, yet seemingly impossible to stop. And, and I, have no, I have no statistical analysis available. But it just seems like this is happening more and more. And I feel like we've said this a number of times in recent episodes that planes keep bumping into each other on the ground while minivans that cost $20,000 have sonar or radar or whatever built right into the bumper that can beep and tell you when literally anything is right behind it. But driving a $300 million airplane into a pole, no problem. At least in the KLM situation, it, the 747 was under tow. So I'm, I'm not sure the effect that had on the situation. But not good. In, I'm in just case. happy the, none of these have happened at JFK recently. We had a, a, a long streak for a while where it seemed yeah. like it was happening here all the time. And we, we've, been, we've been good. 
I think the last one was the was the beginning of 2018 with the uh, was it Kuwait, Kuwait and yeah. was it Kuwait just hit a pole or did Kuwait, Kuwait hit somebody? No, it was someone out by uh, runway four left uh, BA perhaps or I'm not quite sure who it hit, but Kuwait triple seven three hundred ER hit someone on the ground and it was there for long. It stayed time there for quite there. some time. Yeah, I think over. 70 days or something yeah it, it was it was quite some time to to get it repaired and, uh, and speaking of airplane on the ground for a very long time let's check in with the norwegian 73 max in iran ian is it still there it's still there it's still there 60 days well we're up to i think 61 now 61. 62 days so the latest information is that it's still there and they're looking to not have it there we will check in at the 120-day mark. Yeesh. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they they can figure something out and work something out because I mean that that's got to be that's got to be such a pain. Yep. Oh well. I mean, what I, are you gonna do? I, yeah, I don't, I don't. I wonder what they're doing. Is it just like sitting there? Like what? Maybe I I know I have seen pictures over? in the past of of the the cowlings open and someone poking around in there, but. I mean, it could be a very simple issue and they just can't get whatever mundane part they need. Yeah, I, I do not know. I, I, I haven't been able to get that much information, but it, it's definitely, you know, they're, they're looking to fix it and hopefully they can do that soon. I mean, like it's, the, the amount of paperwork that they've got to be going through is incredible. Yeah, that sucks. And uh, yeah, they'll get it back eventually. I, they will. I hope. <laughs> Somebody mentioned the other day, it was, why not just drive it out and put it on a boat? Hmm. Well, I don't think it's near a body of water, so that would be your first problem. <laughs> no, it, it's not. But I was like, I mean, that would be an interesting, interesting exercise. Meanwhile, there's, there's some poor guy and an insurance company running the numbers, and would it just be cost efficient to just write off this aircraft and pretend oh, like man. it didn't happen? Wow. That would be a lot of money. Yep. That would be a lot of money. I don't think they're going to do that. No. So should we go to, let's see, speaking of money and not having any, Germania went bankrupt this week. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. This one was really quick, actually. There wasn't really much of a hint that they were, um, there was a hint that they were in trouble, but not hint that it was so bad that they would disappear. And they literally disappeared overnight. Germania launched flights throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, okay, guys, done here. Wrap it up. Go home. Yeah. They, I mean, they basically waited until all of the flights were in the air and nearing their destinations back in Germany and then said, and by the way, we're just going to stop flying overnight. We're done. We're done. Now they've got planes kind of everywhere. Spread all over Germany. Yeah. So what's interesting to me is that none of them, at least as, as of yesterday when I checked, none of them have been returned to a lesser. And usually they cannot wait to get their hands on these aircraft. Yeah. So that, I found that very interesting. And and whether or not they're – I mean there have been some rumblings about somebody stepping in to possibly you know, take over the, the Germany operation. But I haven't seen anything concrete on that respect. Uh, but it's interesting that, that none of the aircraft have been 
return to a lesser or or anything like that at least as of as of yesterday when i checked right and i think um, there's a swiss so. version of germania that's still in operation yeah germania flug so they're a completely separate airline that used the branding that's um, got to be confusing if you're booked on them i yeah i, I can't yeah i <laughs> exactly but but they are still operating good for them indeed so i, I wonder if they'll continue to use the branding I think it might be time to rebrand to Swiss Fluke. That'll work. All right, done. Where's my commission? You you don't get one. Okay. Speaking of rebranding, there's a Canadian airline called Flair. Ugh. And they rebranded and reintroduced a new livery. I think they're third in a very short while. And I think it can be charitably be described as we wanted to paint the aircraft to look like it had just been de-iced. Yeah, but the wrong but only on the side bottom. of the plane. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, we'll, we'll put a link. We'll put the photo in the show notes. There's no flare. No. There's no it's, flare. It's, it's flareless. Weird looking. I, yeah, I don't even understand what they were going for. Minty and bubbles? It, uh, it, so it's black on top. With a black nose and a black tail, the negative space creates the, the flare name. And then the fuselage, the underneath the, the belly of the plane and the engines are de-icer fluid green. It's very confusing. Who designed this? I don't know. Well, if you watch the promotional video, an entire team of There's young people. There's a promotional video? Yes, right on their website. An entire team oh, of have young to go. people rebranded the airline. Entire by young? Do they mean like four? Nope. You would think so, though, wouldn't you? <laughs> what young person? I mean, I stopped being a young person a, a few minutes ago. But what young person would come up with this? I don't know. Almost like the promotional video may have just been of you know stand-ins. And... I don't buy it. Mm -hmm. Strange, but yes, get a look at it. Take a look. It's actually. Uh, I think it's on their one of their new 737-800s previously owned by Primera. So that's, uh, you know, an omen of some sort. <laughs> of some sort. I don't know what it means, but <laughs> do with that information as you will. a very good one. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, it's just, it's awful. It's awful. I can't imagine it somebody or a team of people sat around designed this thing for like months and then settled on this and was like yeah this is this is good it's like a mad lib of a livery i i just don't get it not not that i can say i recall any prior liveries or branding from this airline so at least it stuck this time sure sure we'll we'll go with that yeah sure what do you say we take a quick break and come back and talk about going around, maybe somebody who should have gone around, and a new hotel we're going to go check out. Okay. All right. We will be back in just a moment. And we're back. Did Hello. you enjoy the break? I did. I didn't go anywhere. I sat oh, here and that, you know, that's talked fair. to you. That that's also fair. Yeah, our exciting off-air conversations about what we should talk about in what order next, and no one will ever know what we talked about specifically. Mm. 
So let's talk about something that happened this week, earlier this, well, no, last week, end of last week. And it kind of raised some some hackles in various camps. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but I've been thinking about it a lot. And I wanted to get your opinion on it and kind of throw it out to our listeners. Because I know we have a, a good cross-section of people who are interested in aviation, people who work in aviation, and people who are new to the sport. I guess is a way of putting it, and are you know listening to the podcast to to learn about something? Why they're listening to our podcast to learn about something? I don't know, That's but bad, they are. So we're trying our best. Anyway, it was very very windy across parts of Europe uh, last week, and the guys at Big Jet TV who do really great filming at various UK airports, mostly the London area, who uh, really exciting guys too, and and fun to listen to, and there's some good commentary there. And they were in the right place at the right time and filmed a British Airways 787 working through the approach in very, very windy conditions. And there was a very severe downdraft right near the runway. So the the pilots executed a go around. And so, you know, the first thing I think is that's awesome that they caught it on film and that everything, you know, the pilots did exactly what they were supposed to do and the flight came back around for for a safe landing. Of course, there's the the kind of general media response of panic, death, destruction. E- exactly. And and I think there was somebody who went through a few of the UK tabloids over the past couple years and realized that they had all used basically the same exact headline Every time there's a storm, and every Moments time there's from a death, there, yeah, and, and so you know the, there is something, and, and I think that as kind of folks in and around aviation, we get I don't want to call it defensive, but very adamant about you know these are safety procedures. The go around is designed as a safety procedure, and and we we've had Captain Ken Hoke did an amazing piece for us on our blog uh, that we'll toss in the show notes a while ago about what exactly is happening, what's going on on the flight deck, what are the procedures with air traffic control, what are what are the policies for you know when to to execute a go around, what you know difference between a go around and a missed approach, that kind of thing. So obviously, you know, people feel very strongly about the safety culture. But by the same token, you know, there's this kind of adamant response, it's not scary. And I step back for a moment and, and think about if you don't know what's happening, if you're a once a year flyer, if this is your, you know, one time where you're, you know, you're visiting London for the first time ever, you, you've saved up and you've gone and then this happens, I can see how it would be scary. Yeah, and, and, and I, I mean, this one looked fairly dramatic too, since the nose dipped fairly dramatically at the very late stage of the landing, which is not something you see all too often in, in HD video like this. So I, I do understand how it was a little more unusual than your typical like uh, crosswind go around. Yeah, what I've been thinking about is how do you talk about this in a way that doesn't sound introduces the concept of this is what's supposed to happen. The safe thing to do was to return to the air and try again. I mean, you, you don't want to you know continue an unsafe procedure. If the situation becomes unsafe, you want to remove yourself from that situation. I, I feel like too often we're like, no, it, it's about safety and this is the, you know, the, and, and, you, and people are like, but, but I was scared. Inside the aircraft, I 
I was fearful because I didn't know what was happening. And and so I, I really wish there was a way to like reach folks in, in that immediate aftermath where like, you know, I was scared. I'm like, I understand, but what happened is exactly what was supposed to happen. Right. And it's typical that this is the kind of reaction you get. I have a friend, Megan, at work who was on a flight with United recently and they had to do a go around as it was quite windy at Newark as it seemingly always is recently. And she was freaking out. She said, oh my God, we almost died. I felt so unsafe. I'm like, actually, no, it was a good thing that you went around. That means safety was in the highest regard and that they didn't try to force the landing. And you kind of have to talk them down from the ledge that what happened is actually the safer option. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, all of the, I mean, the the reporting around it, I mean, that that I saw was either very, and this is very interesting, this particular event brought up some very interesting things about the power of social media because there were a few pilots, BA pilots, who jumped on. 787 um, pilots. 787 pilots and Scott Bateman, a 747 pilot, who did a, a short Twitter thread and the Twitter moments folks created that and put it into their kind of, you know, trending news feed. And so I think the the safety aspect of and the explain the explained nature of the go around I think reached a lot more people this time than it has in the past versus, you know, just a, a tabloid, you know, taking grainy video going well, they could have all died. And so I think that was a very interesting thing that happened this time. Yeah, not the usual outcome. No, but yeah, it was very windy. There were a bunch of planes that did go arounds, and uh, some diverted, and then they uh, they flew back to where they were supposed to be, and then the storm passed, and everybody went home. Cool. I know. So let's talk about something that that maybe could have been a go around. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad for this this pilot. Yeah. So and. Air Canada pilot, his very first time operating a 777-300ER outside of a simulator, had a bit of a uh, a bad landing, I believe, in Hong Kong. Yes. Uh, yes, a tail strike upon landing with a quite unstable approach and um, did some substantial damage to the aircraft. And that's a bad, bad first day on the job. Yeah, I, I mean, I just... I feel bad. Okay, not his first day on the job. The first no, no, no. day operating first, a triple seven, first landing ER. in a, in a, in the triple seven. Yeah, that, just, that, that's that's not a good look. That's rough stuff. Yeah, it's not uh, not typical that you have a, a a tail strike on landing too, is it? I we should look that up. I feel like that's much more common on a takeoff, isn't it? I mean, you would you would think it's much more common on a takeoff, but I don't know what the kind of the statistical breakdown. Of that Somebody is. should look that up. Yeah, if, if only there was some sort of database that we could look up that information in. Jason, get on that. Uh, right away. Okay. One more incident that we should talk about uh, happened a few years ago, but the final report was just issued by the Indian authorities, and this was last week, a, the Go Air flight in Delhi that was on its way to, to Mumbai, but returned to Delhi with a rather interesting issue. Yeah, they on the takeoff roll, they had a bird strike 
Uh, they didn't know it was a bird strike, but they heard a noise and they detected or the computer on board detected unusually high vibrations in one of the aircraft. But there wasn't the greatest amount of communication between the first officer and the pilot flying. And they took off anyway, which is acceptable under certain circumstances, even if uh, the vibration was detected under the N1, uh, sorry, the V1 speed, which is kind of your decision. If you're over V1, you have to take off. It was under V1, but they are still permitted to take off in certain circumstances, which they did, but they probably shouldn't have here. And what happened after was kind of just a comedy of nothing good that ended up in with between the poor communication and trying to figure out what was wrong. They shut down the wrong engine, which you may remember was what actually caused the um, Transasia crash of the ATR a few years ago in Taiwan. Thankfully, that is not what happened here. The one engine that had the high vibrations after the bird strike was producing idle thrust, at least. It was per, it was powering the aircraft, but they were dangerously low on speed a number of times. The anti-stall protection on the aircraft kicked in a number of times until they were able to figure out their mistake and relight the engine that was accidentally turned off. Their first attempts to relight the engine actually failed as they apparently didn't follow proper engine restart procedure, but they eventually got it all sorted out and diverted back to where they started. Yeah, some interesting reading that we'll link to there. And but that was uh that now that was a few years ago now, but the, the final report just came out. So we're we're learning about what exactly happened there. So um if you do have a bird strike, make sure you shut down the, the correct engine. Yes, that's uh important. So a couple things to to round out the show. Southwest is finally kind of sort of maybe going to Hawaii. They went once and it was a big deal to some people and then other people felt aggrieved that some people were making a big deal out of it. I am firmly in the I don't care camp. There you go. Yes, it's no nothing special to see a 737 fly to Hawaii from the US West Coast because plenty of airlines do it and plenty of flights per day. Cool for Southwest for finally using its ETOPS aircraft that it's had for how many years now? Many? Uh, I mean, more than a few. More than a few years. Cool for them. ETOPS flights are 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 interesting. They're 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 difficult in in regards that uh, there's obviously a lot less room for error, so everything has to go right because uh, you're over the middle of the ocean, but. Southwest doing it is not a thing to me. I don't care. Alaska does it. United does it. Delta does it. Air Canada does it, I believe. Maybe not. I know WestJet does it. Fiji Airways does it. I, it's it's not an event for me. Yeah, I mean, it, the the big thing was is that they've been you know saying we're going to Hawaii years now years and then suddenly the government shutdown delayed them like come on okay come on and i'm sure it did and and we talked about some of the interesting things that they did to get up and running more quickly than some other airlines in our last episode but they they finally you know got going and and so they're you know they're they're ready to they're ready to go soon maybe we'll see Maybe. They did fly nonstop in a 738 from Honolulu to Dallas, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I was I was thinking, I mean, you know, when I, when the plane is in, 
I always wonder, you know, because when we talk about distances that aircraft can travel, we always talk about, you know, with passengers and cargo and things like that. I wonder if what like the actual distance you could take a plane was. I don't know. I, I the, think like because I mean you know like Ryanair delivers their new seven three sevens from from Seattle to to Dublin all the time. Yeah. Well, if you put enough auxiliary so, fuel tanks on board, well, not even that. I mean, just the plane is empty. Oh, the, the empty plane. No, no passengers. That's what I'm no, saying. Like yeah. no passengers. Fill it up with fuel. I wonder how far you could go for like each separate aircraft. Like how long could you take like an A three fifty ULR? Could you get around the world completely? That's my question. Maybe. Hmm. hmm. If Someone, anybody knows, <laughs> yeah, somebody should answer that question for us. If anybody knows, drop us a line at podcast at fr24.com. Or if anyone from Boeing or Airbus or Embraer, whoever is listening, take us around the world. Yeah, if you want to have us join for that, we're we're more than willing. We would we would love to go. So let's close up the show with two things. One is my pet project and one is uh, going to become your pet project. My favorite thing in the world is strapping an old aircraft onto a trailer and towing it across a field. And so last week I got to experience that again uh, with the uh, XKLM now in quarantine livery going to a hotel outside of Schiphol and they very, very slowly moved it from the airport and I think it gotten there by now to the hotel near the airport, but it, it took three they moved it over a week, but it took three separate night travels to get there. And so they had a live stream going. And so when you turned on the live stream, you were expecting to see this you know thing moving down the highway or but then all of a sudden you see just these guys walking next to a trailer, slowly moving along. What's this gonna become another one of the uh hotels? Yeah, it's 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 the so it's the the, the Cornyn Hotel and, and they're gonna have it's like an attraction kind of thing. Because there is one, isn't it in Amsterdam that is actually a hotel? Well, I don't know if there's one in Amsterdam that's actually a hotel. There's the one in Stockholm that's the that's the hostel. Yeah, that must um, be the one I'm thinking of. So yeah, that that one that one's actually an airport property. So there was no need to move. They, I mean, they basically just towed it into place with a tug, uh, and that was 2008, I believe. Um, in, in Stockholm, so that's on airport property. It just kind of sits there, and you can you can go and stay in it and enjoy the uh, enjoy the airport ambience. But uh, I don't know if there's any others. I know that the person who did the hostel in Stockholm had plans to do additional seven four seven hotels hostels, but I don't think anything ever came of that. Oh well, the seven four seven in Bahrain though. That they're going to to sink and use as a, a diving attraction has arrived on site, but I don't know if they've sunk it yet. Who operated that aircraft previously? I don't know uh, anything I, about it. You know what? I don't know. Oh, so if anyone does know, podcast at fr two four dot com because I tried to look it up, but I didn't see where the aircraft came from. But but I, I would be interested to to find out where where they picked that up. So that's your your seven four seven scrapping in interesting ways update for this episode. Good update. So fill me in. What is your pet project? And I know your love of strange regional aircraft. Ah yes. So we opened the show with the A two twenty, which is sort of kind of regional jet, and now we'll talk very briefly about the Bombardier CRJ five. 
50, which is not really a thing, but is a thing. Did you know that? Everything I know is a thing, but not really a thing. It's a thing, but not really a thing. Uh, Basically, uh, airlines in the US and Canada, they have this thing called a scope clause, which defines how many regional jets of a larger size they're allowed to operate over uh, 50 seats. So basically, they can operate, I believe, as many below 50 seat or 50 seat and below regional jets as they want, but they're constrained to the number of good regional jets they can operate, you know, the E-175s or the CRJ-900 or 700. So as a way to get around that and offer an aircraft that isn't terrible and awful, like the CRJ-200 with 50 seats, they are basically getting Bombardier to recertify a CRJ-700 to only hold 50 seats. That way they're able to take the same size plane, put some first class seats in, some premium economy seats and some regular economy seats that aren't awful and operate it as if it were a 50 seat aircraft. And it's not really a new concept. Air Canada, until very recently, used to do this with the CRJ 900, which was derated to a 700, oddly enough. I believe they called that the CRJ 705. So this is not a new concept, but it allows United to operate 50-seat regional jets that aren't awful. And and the idea behind this is that they've got they're going to put these on some of the routes that are heavily heavily traveled by business customers but aren't so large that it necessitates a, a mainline aircraft. Right. So Am I correct in understanding that? Yeah, so the first route and only route that they have announced is Chicago to Bentonville, Arkansas for that Walmart premium transit. Basically, they want to make sure that those high-paying customers are able to actually get a first-class or premium economy-style product rather than a nasty little 50-seat RJ with no no way to pay for a premium seat, which is quite lucrative on these corporate deals. So they've taken, they will be taking existing CRJ 700s and modifying them to only hold those 50 people. And this will enable United to operate additional 50 plus regional jets like the, I believe, all pretty much all E-175s at this point. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. The I, I always find scope class fascinating because part of me doesn't understand it at all. And then part of me is always fascinated by the fact that regional pilots are paid so much less than mainline pilots. Yeah. I mean, I do understand that if you're a, a pilot for a mainline airline, you, you don't want such a high percentage of your airline's flights operated by a regional airline. Like as you said, with pilots that are paid so much less, it's it's a lot of protectionism to make sure that their jobs are, are secure, that they don't farm out uh, flights that could be, you know, operated by an A320, that would just kind of be crazy. So it's all about self-preservation to make sure that uh, the regional jets don't cannibalize the mainline flying. So it, it, yeah, I mean, the aircraft to me is much less interesting than than the mechanics and the business case of it. It's, it's um, complicated. And there, there a lot rides on these scope clauses. I, Mitsubishi still believes that these uh, scope clauses will be modified enough that they can actually launch this, the MRJ with 
US-based regional airlines, but it's too heavy and it's it's too big and it's just <laughs> to basically base your entire program on the concept that the scope clause is going to change is just bad. That yeah, we'll leave the MRJ for another day. Yeah, that that thing is a a thing. <laughs> we, I mean, we talked about that I think in in one of our very very early episodes when you and John Walton were in Japan. Right, we had uh, gone out visiting we, we visited them and they were still steadfast in their belief that the scope change was the scope clause was going to change and they they're, they're going to be able to fly with SkyWest who has a bajillion orders for these things that they're never going to see the light of day. Come on. We'll talk about that in a future episode then. On that note, all right, episode 51. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like the podcast, leave us a rating or review on iTunes. We'd appreciate that. Or Google Music, if that's how you found us. These ratings and reviews help other people find the podcast and you know makes it easier for folks to, to listen to us. And we always really, really appreciate that. If you've got things that you like, uh, suggestions, criticism, comments, or lunch orders, uh, emails at podcast at fr24.com. We read all of those emails and then I make Jason do most of the work uh, answering them. Wait, that doesn't sound right. So, oh dear. Uh-oh. Okay. So next episode, we'll have a lot more email answered. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz and thank you for listening, everyone. Bye.